Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, it is my joy to welcome you here uh, to our 9.30 service. Also, welcome those uh, upstairs who are worshiping in the Well Cafe. Uh, if we have not met, my name is David. Thank you for the whistle. <laughs> if you're a first-time guest with us, let me address a few of your questions right off the top. The answer is no, this is not normal, okay? This is not normal. This is not every week. Uh, and if by chance you are uncomfortable... I just want you to know that I'm more uncomfortable than you, okay? So just, uh, just keep that in mind. I want to uh, give a shout out to uh, my assistant, Betsy. She's here at our 9.30 service. I won't point her out and embarrass her, but she helped me select uh, this year's Christmas suit. I had narrowed it down to two. Couldn't make a decision, and so I showed them both to her, and she very definitively said, this is, this is the one. And when I asked her why, uh, she totally straight face said, because you'll look like a tablecloth. <laughs> I had no idea that was criteria you might use to, to select your wardrobe, but evidently it is. I look like a tablecloth. So uh, this, this is my uh, annual reminder to you. Uh, first, be careful what you start, because uh, it's hard to bring it to an end sometimes. And uh, two, uh, Merry Christmas. So hope you... Hope you enjoy that. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to open that uh, to Psalm uh, 96 and 98. Uh, and we're going to read those in just a moment. If you didn't bring your Bible with you, you can find that on page 934 in the Bibles that we have available for you here in our worship space. Uh, and as you, uh, as you locate that, again, 934 in the Blue Bibles, I, I want to say a word about all of the Christmas Eve services that we have coming up, really the pinnacle moment for us uh, in this uh, season as we move towards the celebration of Christmas. Uh, we'll have 12 Christmas Eve services on both the 23rd and the 24th. And here's a few, uh, a few things that may help you remember all of those. Uh, first, by, by about December 20th, we want you all to, to have that feeling like, okay, I want them to stop telling us when the services are. We, we want to kind of bombard you with this so that you will know all of the opportunities that we have uh, as you think about inviting people to come share Christmas Eve with you. But uh, 10, 2, 4, 6, 8. Uh, repeat after me. 10, 4, 6, 8, 10, uh, not 10, 10, 2, 4, 6, 8, okay? On the 23rd and the 24th, uh, at those times, those services will be identical, okay? Message will be exactly the same, 10 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 8 o'clock. So I want you to know that. I uh, want you to consider, of course, attending one of our services, but also serving uh, at one of these uh, opportunities. So you can come to one service and stick around for a little bit after and welcome those who are coming uh, to the next service. Also want to lift up that particularly at the 4 p.m., 6 p.m., and 8 p.m. hour. Uh, if the 23rd works for you and your family, we would love to have you come on the 23rd because on the 24th, those are the services where this sanctuary is jam-packed. And the first-time guest that shows up on time, because they assume that's what you do, they're the ones who get the seat way over there in the corner. So if you can come on the 23rd, you free up a seat for a first time guest and uh, perhaps help them experience an even greater blessing being here uh, Christmas Eve. That's not to say don't come on Christmas Eve. I'm simply saying if the 23rd works for you, we'd love to have you, particularly at those, uh, at those three hours. Uh, so we started a series last week. Pastor Don shared the first uh, message in that series. I'm very grateful for him because on Friday morning, I texted Shay and said, I'm not not feeling good. This is, this is not going to happen for me. And he said, no problem. I got it. Got your back. And then on Saturday, he texted me and said, no, I don't. 
I'm not, not feeling it either. So Don was pressed into service at, at the very last minute. Uh, but he shared with you that, that over the course of these weeks leading up to the celebration of Christmas, we're looking at our favorite hymn of the Christmas season, Joy to the World. He shared with you that Isaac Watts uh, wrote this hymn. It was first published in 1719, uh, and it was published in a book entitled The Psalms of David Imitated in the Language of the New Testament and Applied to the Christian State and Worship. Very, very catchy title, uh, 1719. Um, uh, you, uh, by the way, John Wesley, who was the founder of the, uh, the Methodist movement, was a big fan of Isaac Watts. Uh, Isaac Watts is actually buried in Bunhill Cemetery, which is right across the street in London from Wesley Chapel. Uh, that church uh, was the final building that Wesley oversaw the, the building and design of. Um, still a worshiping congregation today on that location. Uh, Wesley also built an apartment where he lived uh, out the final years of his life. And in that same cemetery where Isaac Watts is buried, uh, John's mother, Susanna Wesley, is also buried just about 20 yards from, uh, from Isaac's grave. But I'll, I'll say a few more words later about why uh, 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 Wesley loved Isaac Watts uh, so much. Uh, but you may, I'd love to tell you that we, we decided to do this series because we wanted to mark the 300th anniversary of the publication of this hymn. That would make us sound really smart, uh, but that's not why we did it. We didn't even know that before we uh, decided to focus on Joy to the World. So, so why, why do we pick this hymn? Well, uh, because we love Joy to the World. I mean, this is one of those hymns. I mean, this, this is Christmas. This is, this is what Christmas is all about. This is one of those hymns where you don't need to see the words on the screen. You know all the words. Most of you do. Uh, th this is one that, that for you, it, it defines uh, what Christmas is. This, this is one where if we just made the decision one December, you know, we sing it every year. Let's just take a year off. My email inbox would be full. Uh, you, baby Jesus is crying. You have killed Christmas because we didn't sing Joy to the World. Because for us, when we think about Christmas, we think about the song Joy to the World. It means so much to us. It's so familiar to us. So with this very familiar song, this very familiar tune with very familiar words, let me express to you the why behind this series and what we hope happens as we very carefully look at what is expressed in each of these verses of this, this favorite hymn. So let me express it this way. Some of you know I love history and I just finished a documentary uh, on the Apollo space missions from 1963 to uh, 1972. And uh, you may know that Apollo 11 was really the, the famous uh, one. It's the one that is most remembered because uh, that was the mission uh, where man first walked on the moon, uh, where Neil Armstrong came down that ladder and uh, one small step for man, one you know, massive leap for mankind. You remember that part of the story. Uh, but the significant mission that preceded that was Apollo 8. It's the first time that a manned spacecraft orbited the moon. Uh, that happened in December of 1968, and uh, the Apollo 8 crew actually did a broadcast on December 24th, 1968, from the moon, uh, sharing with the entire world a, a picture that they had captured, and, and this was the picture uh, that people were able to see, again, December 24th, 1968, trying to uh, come up with uh, words to express the significance of this moment, uh, the astronauts chose to end their broadcast by simply reading the first 10 verses of Genesis chapter 1. 
and saying, God bless from the crew of Apollo 8. Now this is hard for most of us to imagine because most of us have never lived in a world where an image like this or one like it uh, did not exist. And so when we think about our world, when we think about the earth, uh, many of us naturally think about uh, uh, this, this image. So it's, it's hard for us to imagine what it must have been like to see this for the very first time. To see the, the planet in, in, which, in which those uh, who, who saw it, were, the, the planet they were living, to see it from a perspective they've never seen before. But, but to express the significance of that, I'll just share uh, one, uh, one sentence from a story that appeared in the London paper uh, just a few days after that. It, it read, in London, Britain's Flat Earth Society now admits that it's going to have to take a new look at things. A new perspective changed everything. A new perspective changed everything. The, 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 the planet in, in which we live, all of a sudden, there was a, a, a better understanding of, of, this, of this world. And, and so as we move through this series and each week look at another verse of Joy to the World, again, uh, such a familiar song. That's what I hope happens for you, that you would gain a, a new perspective on this, and, and on this, this song, and, and in that, to, to, to find the, the deeper significance, perhaps, the deeper truth that, that this song uh, proclaims. So with that, I'm going to read to you Psalm 98 and a portion of Psalm 96. These are the words of Scripture that inspired Isaac Watts to write uh, this hymn, and then I'm going to read to you again the first two verses of Joy to the World. So first, Psalm 98. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, uh, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap in their hands. Uh, let, let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth, he will judge the world in righteousness and all the peoples with equity. And then verse 11, I'm gonna read you 11 through 13. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. And again, here, here are the first two verses of, of Joy to the World. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains 
repeat the sounding joy. There's lots of reasons why I think we love this hymn. I'll tell you one of my reasons as a pastor. Most of the time when we are singing this hymn, I'm I'm here. And so I am uh, hearing the sound of your singing. And and there are certain songs that you sing uh, where where when that happens, the energy in the room just kind of goes up. I mean, there's uh, there's uh, an enthusiasm that, that is higher than any other song that we sing. Uh, People who all year long, when we are in a time of singing, stand stoically without singing a word, when it gets to joy to the world, however self-conscious they may be about the sound of their voice as they sing, that they, they say, I don't care anymore. I'm singing joy to the world. And we don't sing it from here. We sing it from here. And, and so from my perspective, this is the song that you blow the doors off the place. You, the, the roof is lifted when you sing joy to the world because everybody wants to sing joy to the world. Some people think, wow, I didn't have that in me. Whenever this song comes, because it's a song that we, that we love to sing. We love this song because it speaks to what we believe is true. That the Lord has come and the Savior reigns. The Lord has come and the Savior reigns. And despite the various circumstances and challenges that we face that seem to threaten to undermine that conviction in our life, we come together as one body lifting voices next to one another and we proclaim again, we believe that the Lord has come and we believe that the Savior reigns. We believe that God has come and interrupted human history bringing a savior for all the world and that in his death and in his resurrection, God has not only raised him from the dead, but God has seated him on the throne over all of creation. And from that throne, this savior now reigns. That this kingdom that of which he is a king is not a future kingdom that is to come, but it is something that has already occurred. It is something we believe is already true. The Lord, the Savior reigns. And while you may not have ever thought about it this way, to be a person of faith, to be a follower of Jesus is to commit your entire life, your entire life to living under the reign of earth's new king. It's not a part of your life. It's not a segment of your life. It's not a day of your life. It's not certain decisions in your life. It's all of your life. Every thought and every word and every deed, living it, living it as a gift, as an act of worship to earth's new king. The, the, the famous prayer in our tradition uh, that, that Wesley wrote, I yield all things to thy pleasure and thy disposal. Put me to doing, Lord. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee. Let me be a, laid aside for thee. Do whatever you want with me for you. I believe you. You are king. And you reign over all the world. We love this song because it testifies that the Messiah has come for the entire world. 
which I know sounds obvious, that's, that's, you're not surprised to hear that. But I want you to notice how in both the Psalms and in this song, the entire world perhaps takes on even more meaning for you. As it speaks of fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains, all of heaven and all of nature rejoicing. Seas that resound, rivers clapping, trees and forests and mountains that are singing, the entire earth breaking forth into jubilant song. It's not just all peoples, it is all things. It is the entirety of the world in which we live. The Messiah has come for all of those things. And if you need a physical reminder of that, uh, uh, go home. If you have a nativity scene in your house, uh, go home and look at that. Uh, Here's what I'm guessing you have in your nativity scene. You probably have Mary, okay? You've got Joseph. You've probably got the baby Jesus. Maybe the shepherds are in in the nativity scene that you have. Maybe you have the wise men. But then there's a few other things that might be in your nativity scene. Uh, How many of you have animals in in your nativity scene? Okay, you got got a sheep or a goat or a cow or, you know, a camel, some some other animal uh, that is there. Maybe you've seen different nativity scenes from around the world where they have different animals in them. Like, why is there an elephant uh, in this nativity scene? I, I, don't, I don't understand that. Well, if you look at the scriptures, they don't mention anything about animals at the birth of Jesus. That's, that's not in uh, either Matthew's gospel or in Luke's gospel. And I know you don't believe me, so it's Luke chapter two. You can go look it up later. <laughs> it doesn't even say in the scriptures that Jesus was, was born in a stable. What it says is that he was laid in a manger. And so we infer that you know, mangers is where you would find a stable. So uh, that, that's, that's where the location was. But, but there's actually some significance, some, some theological meaning to having those animals in your nativity scene. Because it's a reminder that this, this Messiah has come. He's come for everything. Everything in our world that is broken. For all of creation to redeem the world that God brought into being. There's so many reasons that we love this hymn. But there's, there's one that I think is, is uh, of even greater significance for us. And let's see if I can express that for you. Uh, so on Wednesday night, I went to dinner with a friend. Uh, he used to be a member of our church, moved away many years ago and haven't had the chance to see him over the course of, of that time. And uh, he loves barbecue. So we went down to Big D Barbecue. A couple of other friends joined us. And what I didn't know going into this, the others may have known and they just decided not to tell me, uh, was that it was trivia night uh, at Big D Barbecue. And when I found that out, it was kind of an inward groan because I really don't like trivia uh, because I'm not very good uh, at trivia. Uh, and I don't like doing things that I'm not good at. You know, I want to, I want to win. So um, if you are someone who loves trivia and you've got a team and someone backs out and and you're thinking about who to invite, don't invite me. Okay. I will not add value to the team unless the theme of the night is biblical history and archeology, span in which case, man, you call me. Okay. I'm the one I I will, I will, I will serve the team. Well, Uh, One of the reasons that I'm not very good at at trivia or these trivia nights is because regardless of the theme, one of the things that is always included is music. Uh, And I don't know music at all. I I don't know the names of songs. I don't know who wrote the song. I don't know what band played the song. I don't know what album the song was on. I don't know who the lead guitar player was of that band or who played drums. And I really don't understand why anyone knows that. (laughs) 
I mean, I don't understand why someone along the way decided this knowledge is so precious, it's so important, I'm never going to forget who played drums for such and such band. I'm, I'm amazed that people know these things uh, about music. But here's, here's one of the things I do love about that experience, especially as it relates to, to, to music, is, is, is when just a few bars of a very popular song are played, that everyone in the room just breaks out in spontaneous singing. No one hesitates, uh, no, no one is waiting for someone else. Again, nobody needs the words on the screen, just, just all at once, uh, at, if people start singing the song together and just spontaneously, and even, even though the music stops, I mean, they're still singing. I mean, because after all, it's Neil Diamond, you know? I mean, you gotta sing Neil Diamond, it's Sweet Caroline, right? You know, so good, so good, so you gotta do it, right? <laughs> It comes on and every ounce of self-control in the room is gone, you know, we just, we have to sing this song and, and, and this is where I may potentially lose you. So just stick with me for just a moment. I think there's a similar dynamic in this song, Joy of the World. Now, I know that's weird. I just connected Neil Diamond and Isaac Watts, okay, <laughs> while wearing this suit. But here, here's, here's what I mean. I think the reason that we love, uh, the reason is not the tune. And it isn't because it has this catchy chorus that you just can't get out of your head for the next, you know, 12 days. It's because of what the song invites us to do. It's because of what it provokes within us and how it connects with something that has been buried deep inside all of us. It invites us, it provokes us. You could even go so far as to say it demands that we do something, it demands that we sing. It demands that we sing this song, that we lift up our joy. I don't know how you interpret the phrase, let men their songs employ, but here, here's how I understand that. Get to work, put your songs to work. Put your voice to work, put your life to work, sing, lift praises. It isn't a gentle encouragement, you know, sing out a little bit. It's a reminder of this responsibility that you have as one who has been created in the image of God, whose life is animated each and every moment by the, the gift of God's breath in your life that you, you, you need to sing. This, this is the part that some of you are gonna love and some of you are not gonna like this very much at all, but it's, it's true nonetheless. You were born, you were born to sing. You were born to sing. Now that doesn't mean that you have to join the choir, but it does mean that you are destined to be a part of one. You were born to sing. And regardless of how you feel about the sound that comes out when you do, you were made for this. You were made for this. And, and perhaps the, the most important part of that is, is that when, when you hear that invitation and when you feel the weight of that demand, uh, when, when you consider the, the significance of what this song speaks to, and in response to all of those things, when you begin to sing, here, here's what you recognize that when you start singing, this is a song that is already being sung. It's already being sung all around you. 
rocks and hills, the mountains above, the valleys below, trees and forests, rivers and seas. This, this is the sound of all creation. This is the sound of everything that God has made. This, this is what the world was, was created to do. Is to sing this song, to sing joy, to sing majesty, to sing praise, to lift up, to lift up the creator of all things. This is what everything was made and born to do. And you're simply joining along with, in a song that is already being sung. I'm gonna go back to this, uh, this picture. Uh, one of the astronauts, I can't remember which of the three um, made this comment, but uh, after making the long trip from the earth to the moon and, and going back behind the moon, coming around uh, that, that orbit and seeing nothing but the, the, the black uh, sky of space and, and the empty void, the, the gray of the moon. He, he said when we came over and, and experienced what, what they call the lunar sunrise and we saw the earth for the first time, he said, I, I, I can't describe how struck I was by this black background, empty space. And there in the middle, this beautiful painting of rich color that is the world. And all of it, all of it is lifting up praise to God. Joy to the world is a reminder that worship is serious business. It's serious business. You were born to sing and you need to sing. You need to sing that there's a part of you, there's a part of you and who you are and the life, the life that you were meant to live. There's a part that you cannot grab hold of unless you sing because you were born to join into this song. So I mentioned that Wesley uh, loved Isaac Watts. He loved his hymn. Watts wrote over 750 hymns over the course of his life. You may also know that John's brother Charles was also a prolific hymn writer. He wrote over 6,000 hymns. Uh, but John loved Watts so much that the last song he ever sang, the song that he sang on his deathbed was not one of his brother's songs, but Charles had already died, so he wasn't there to be offended. But it was an Isaac Watts song. It wasn't Joy to the World. Uh, it was a song entitled, I'll Praise My Maker While I've Breath. And those who were there by Wesley's bedside uh, recorded that when he became so weak that he could no longer sing the song, he simply mouthed the words, I'll praise, I'll praise, I'll praise, I'll praise. So today as you think about what Christmas is really all about, about worship, about doing what we were born to do, singing, lifting our voices, and returning to God the gift of the breath that he first gave to us. I want to invite you to hear the words of this song as our prayer for today. So will you bow your heads and close your eyes and just, just listen, listen to these words. I'll praise my maker while I've breath. And when my voice is lost in death, praise shall employ my nobler powers. 
My days of praise shall never be passed while life and thought and being last. Happy are those whose hopes rely on Israel's God who made the sky and earth and seas with all their train, whose truth forever stands secure, who saves the oppressed and feeds the poor, for none shall find God's promise vain. I'll praise my God who lends me breath, and when my voice is lost in death, praise shall employ my nobler powers. My days of praise shall never be passed, while life and thought or immortality endures. Loving God, we are grateful for the life that you have given to each of us. We, Lord, join in the words of, the, of Psalm 8 when we look at the heavens, when we consider the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars, all these things that you have set in place, we do ask ourselves, who are we? Who are we but frail creatures who exist for but a moment? Our lives are but a breath. And yet, Lord, we give you thanks that you have given us the chance to return that breath to you, to live all of our life, every single moment, decision, thought, act, to to live it all as an act of worship and thanksgiving to you. And so in the midst of everything that the season brings for us, all the things that we love and appreciate and celebrate, and even those things that we find difficult, we pray, Lord, that you would remind us that, that at, the core of, at the core of Christmas is this call to worship and give thanks for what you have done in Jesus and how our lives and our entire world can now never be the same. All these things we lift in his name. Amen.